Well, hi and welcome Design at Home. It's great to be sharing with you today uh, and introducing my special guests. I am very delighted. Uh, to introduce you today, three special people from the church that we call Zion. Uh, Zion here in Te Aumuru. Uh, we have three ladies that have agreed to share the Word of God and to share their heart with regards to our message series, Embracing Holiness. So it's my privilege, it's my delight. I'm so excited to see the gift that God's established in people being expressed uh, in this way. And I know you're going to be blessed in amazing ways by what is shared. So I'm just going to step out of the way and I'm going to allow our guests to come and uh, join you shortly. Make sure you grab your Bible, make sure you grab your notebook and take note of the wisdom that is shared here today. May God bless you as the Word of God beams into your home via Zion at home. Good morning, everyone. When Phil put to me the idea of speaking about holiness, Matthew chapter 5 was still fresh in my mind from a recent Bible study that I'd been a part of. At the time, I was already mulling over the eight characteristics that I can find in the Beatitudes, and they'd really challenged me. Uh, they'd challenged me to measure my responses to the world's actions with Jesus' words. How should a believer live and flourish in God's kingdom? I'll outline these characteristics and then relate them to holiness. So I'm just going to read Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. And seeing the multitudes... He went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's have a look at those eight characteristics. The first one is blessed are the poor in spirit. Here we have Jesus calling to his kingdom those who've got nothing to bring. It's maybe a bit like being bankrupt. No money, no assets, and a heap of debt. Unfortunately, that's not been something I've had to face. But I have been spiritually bankrupt, devoid of my own solutions and resources to do what God requires of me. So the poor in spirit are the ones who know they need God, and they'll never have the spiritual qualities that they need unless God builds those qualities into their lives. They cling to the cross of Christ, recognizing that they bring nothing to the relationship except gratitude, love, and obedience. Isaiah 57, verse 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Our culture might say, look to yourself, you matter. 
be you, satisfy yourself. But here it's to look outward to God, perhaps thinking of the bankrupt analogy, maybe you could open up a dependence account. The second one is blessed are those who mourn. That's knowing who you really are. We're made in the image of God, yes, but colored by sin and its effects in our lives. These people grieve over their own sin and selfishness and repent and receive forgiveness. I recall an awful incident some years ago, and it still makes me cringe, where my tongue got the best of me and the aftermath of that devastated me. It was humiliating, it was embarrassing. But most of all, I remember the sorrow of disappointing God, thinking that I'd misrepresented God. And I was really undone for quite some time after that, and it took me a long time to walk in the forgiveness of the Lord. I have a friend who once told me that she weeps over the sin of the world and the effect that it has on those around her. The third one is, blessed are the meek. In Numbers 12, 3, we see it's written, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. Wow, what credentials. It's not how we usually describe our leaders. Moses was a man of greatness. We can read about it in Hebrews 11. A man who left Egyptian riches. He led thousands across the desert. A man of faith and a man who feared God more than he feared those who chased him. He knew he needed God's help and he recognized God's supremacy. In Exodus 33, we see Moses asking God for his presence because he didn't want to leave where he was without God's presence. Moses knew that God was the one who sought their ultimate good and he was the source of everything that they needed to survive. The fourth one is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In our quiet moments with the Lord, it's a good question to ask, what are my appetites? When we hunger after something, we're often so fixed on satisfying that hunger that we choose the less healthy version. And I guess chocolate would be kind of my first go-to. That can give temporary reprieve and Satan can certainly offer sin as an opportunity for quick comfort. Quick comfort. Let this spiritual hunger and thirst bring us to Jesus, his word, to prayer and to worship. The fifth one is blessed are the merciful. These ones move out in forgiveness, prayer and love for those in need and treat others according to what they don't deserve. And that mercy flows out of recognition that it's been received first from God and Christ. You can just read about Joseph in Genesis and how he treated his brothers at the end. Here's a picture of mercy and reconciliation. And then we get to verse eight. This is the sixth one, blessed are the pure in heart. And I was looking for an example of purity. And I came up with, when I was much younger, um, I used to water ski a lot and our family did heaps of boating. But there was a long period of time where I did nothing. And one day a friend came to me, we we're out at the beach, and he said, do you want to go for a ski? And I said, yeah, sure, thinking that I'd be super cool, I'd be great, I wouldn't fall off, never had done, hadn't done for a while. Anyway, I found on that particular outing that I really struggled to stand up. I struggled to wave to people on the shore. I struggled to look left and right and go across the wake. I was desperate and totally focused on keeping my feet in the rubber bindings so that I would not fall off. And I used that illustration is purity in a sense that it's unmixed in its allegiance. It's a heart that's not distracted. It's to be single-minded and focused in our devotion to God every day. The seventh one is blessed are the peacemakers. 
And unity between believers is essential for the gospel to be seen. Jesus simply says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. And the eighth one, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Well, how often have we been made to feel silly or weak-minded or an outsider because of Christ. Can we suffer well and be unafraid of what others think of us? To speak the truth, even if your voice trembles? We like to keep our head down, but God says, don't fear, trust him. Blessed are those who are persecuted. So in these 12 verses, we see the heart of Jesus, his core values and what's important to him. In these verses, I see Jesus calling his followers, uh, that's you and me, um, to think and live differently because we find our identity in him. We don't find our identity in ourselves, but to be radically different from the inside out. The Holy Spirit puts these Beatitudes into action, equipping you and me to live in a way that influences our world. For it's in the Holy Spirit's power that a believer can reflect the character that this sermon describes. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Repentance must dig the foundations, but holiness shall erect the structure and bring forth the top stone. Repentance is the clearing away of the rubbish of the past temple of sin. Holiness builds the new temple, which the Lord our God shall inherit. Repentance and desires after holiness can never be separated. So what does this mean? Our right responses to the things around us can be the building blocks that God uses to develop holiness so that we might be more like Jesus. How? The Holy Spirit we receive on salvation through Jesus is the same Spirit that works in us to overcome our natural ways to live a holy life that pleases Him. Can we be a special kind of people? Holy men, holy women, Different to those around us who live apart from God's ways? Well, yes, I believe we can. As God is our provider, our Lord and our sovereign over everything, we can now recognise the transformation that takes place as we take on these characteristics, to be dependent on God, to repent and ask his forgiveness to do better, to recognise his sovereignty and his goodness to us, to seek God first, focused, longing for God to set the world aright, to give up our rights and be prepared to be wronged, to forgive and make peace, to trust him and by his spirit to be holy. Good morning, everyone. So Phil's asked me to share a little bit of my journey on my path to holiness. I thought I'd take you back to my first love. Do you remember the day you accepted Jesus Christ into your life? I do. I was in the shower. Now, I don't usually spend a lot of time in the shower, but this day was an exception. I wanted to escape life. I remember being in there and I was crying tears, shouting out to God, help me, forgive me, I'm sorry. Where are you? Are you real? When I came out of that shower, I felt so clean. I had never felt so clean in my whole life. I still remember that feeling. Now I can assure you that I was using the same soap, so there's no way that was anyone but my God. I often think of that time 
and go back and just recall that feel, feeling of cleanness. He captured my attention that day. I accepted the Lord, but now I believe it's time for me to embrace my God. The title of full series is, uh, series is Embrace Holiness, so let's not miss the focus that's required in that. In our Zoom prayer meeting times, we've been talking about cleaning his house for about the past almost two years now. We believe that this is in preparation of something bigger that God's doing. We believe he's bringing, his, uh, bringing this to his bride to make us a spotless bride, which is what he requires. I find it interesting that he first cleaned me up, forgave my sin, washed me, then set me on the path to becoming holy, to becoming part of his spotless bride. So Phil posted another story on Facebook. I'm making a lot of reference to Phil today. <laughs> Malachi 3.3, it's about the silversmith. So the story goes that the woman went to watch the silversmith do his work, and he held a piece of silver over the fire. He explained that in refining silver, you have to hold it over the center of the flame. That's where it's, the flames are hottest, and they burn away all the impurities. The woman thought for a moment and thought about God holding us in that spot. And then she thought about the verse where it says that he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. She asked the silversmith, is it true that you have to sit there the whole time in front of it? Oh yes, he exclaimed, oh yes. If he doesn't sit there and keep his eye on it, it could be spoiled damaged. She was silent for a moment, and then she said, how do you know when it's fully refined? Oh, that's easy, he said. I can see my image in it. Remember, God our Father has his eyes on you. He is watching you. He is purifying you, and he is refining you. I believe that God started the journey on that day in the shower with me. It's an ongoing work though, still in progress. He forgave me that day, he washed me clean, but I had to deal with the baggage of the past. Hey, don't judge too quickly. The Israelites took 40 years to go through the desert. But on that day with my encounter with Jesus, he started a good work in me and his word tells me he will take it to completion. Then I thought, am I good enough? Well, Phil wrote another newsletter article called, Is God Confused or Even in Control? Where he made mention of the lineage of Jesus Christ, listed in Matthew. We met some colorful characters on that, in that letter. Jacob, the deceiver. Perez, the son of trickery and justification. Boaz born to an unclean foreigner with a history of prostitution. Obed, born to Ruth, pagan by birth, and redeemed as a promise to an opposing kingdom. The first verse of the New Testament tells us that Jesus was the son of David, a murdering adulterer. Matthew goes on in verse 23 of Matthew 1 to say, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son that they will call Emmanuel which means 
God with us. Born outside of marriage. 750 years before, Isaiah prophesied that. So let's imagine today that someone comes and tells you that God's coming to earth, that he's the anointed one, the savior of the world, and he's an illegitimate child. Perhaps you don't think of yourself as worthy of being holy, but if you look at this list of ancestors, we're all fantastic candidates. Our past does not define our future. Jesus is in the work of transforming and renewing our minds. On that day, early in my encounter, as I said, God started a good work in me and he will take it to completion. He has done the same for you. So as I took a look at the stories of King David and the things that he had done, I began to wonder, what is it? What is it that God so loved about him? A murdering adulterer, yet he loved him, blessed him. So recently I've been in reading, reading in Song of Songs and I noticed that when God looked upon us, he said, yet you are so lovely. Oh, radiant one, radiant, radiant. Radiant one, he said. You, radiant. My dearest one, he calls us. His love is so deep for us, and he desires our partnership with him. So we need to become more like his spotless bride. We need to embrace holiness. When Jesus looks at our heart and he sees a longing or a desire for him, He's, re he's right there, he's always there. His love for us never changes, and he sees us as his spotless bride. In Psalms, we read of David's steadfast heart, his undivided heart, how his soul pants like a deer after water for him, and we read other conditions of his heart too. That's it, that is what pleases our Lord. Our desire for him and our love for him. I ask you, what is the condition of your heart towards God and the things of God today? Luke 1.35 tells us that the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God chose this lineage for his son to be born into. He chose Joseph and Mary as his parents and he chose your ancestors and your parents for you. So I thought, what does the word say about us? In Jeremiah 1.5, it says that God knew us before we were formed and that he set us apart. Psalm 139 tells us he created my inmost being. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Ephesians 1.47 tells us, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. Verse five, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And verse seven, in him, we have redemption through the blood, through the forgiveness of sins. This passage tells us we were chosen by God to be holy and the pathway through sonship, redemption and forgiveness has already been prepared for us to choose and to become holy. Hebrews 10.10, 10, we have been made holy. 
through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Already done. You are already holy. God sees us as holy. For me, my personal prayer journey is to prepare me for what God is doing and to take some steps closer to reflecting Jesus to the world. There are three things I always pray. Psalm 139. So just as I submit myself to him, because he loves me, I say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. You read in the Psalms, who can ascend this holy hill? He who has a clean heart. So Psalm 51 is another cry from my heart. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Then we have to be careful of our words. Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I'm hoping that as Jesus works in response to my prayers, I will become more like him on this path, path to holiness and purity. I'm also hoping that he will see my desire for him and I'll be able to partner with him in the work that he's doing right now in the church, in the world. So we all have a choice. I wonder, what do you choose? What is the condition of your heart towards God and the things of God? Do, you, do we reflect our Savior like refined silver in the silversmith story? Is that what we desire? To reflect Jesus to the world? to embrace his holiness. It's time for each one of us to consider this. Are you ready for more? Because there is so much more, so much more. Enjoy your journey, folks. So as a Christian, the theme of holiness is not necessarily one that fills me with a bunch of feel-good feelings. I'm the first one to admit that I failed more times than succeeded. And even in those times of success, it would not be because of me. It would be because of Jesus. I remember giving my heart to Jesus as a seven-year-old. I couldn't wait for Dad to get home from church. And I waited and waited for him so that he could come and pray with me. I realized back then already that this was such an important decision for my life. And so I started on this journey of trying to please God, of working really hard, of being a good girl, of making all the best choices that I could possibly make. But I always felt not worthy of God's pleasure. I felt that I always came short. And this feeling stayed with me well into adulthood. But it was by the grace of God that I ended up going to a prayer ministry course. And it is in this course where I realized that my life of performance was based on how well I can do instead of 
on the mercy and the grace that is freely available to me. When reading how the Israelites had to bring offerings to gain forgiveness, to enter into right standing with God, I always felt that I would have to slaughter at least 20 cows, and even then it wouldn't be enough to have God smile over me. I lived this life of performance, thinking that I was pleasing God, but I was pleasing myself. I was ticking all the boxes. I was being the good girl. <sighs> Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 8 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do and it gave Him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who we belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. You know, when something amazes my four-year-old, he would say, that blew my mind up. And this verse blows my mind that He chose you and me before the foundations of the earth, before we ever lifted one finger to praise Him or to bring honor and glory to His name, before all of our deeds, before the foundations of the earth, He knew us, He called us by name, and He adopted us into His family, and that brings Him great pleasure. In Romans 12, verse 1 to 2, Paul implores us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice for Him and not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, as this is truly the way to worship Him. John 4:24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. This tells me that we are to worship Him with our hearts, but also with our minds. What does a heart of worship look like? Isaiah 66 verse 1 to 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you, that I, would build for Him? What is the place of rest that I can give Him? All these things God ha God's hands has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This reminds me of that song that says, it all comes back to the heart of worship. No other deed, no other gift, can I bring God that pleases Him more than a humble and contrite spirit that trembles at His word? As I, by the grace of Jesus, became aware of my people-pleasing side, the life of always performing to prove to God that I can be accepted by Him, I realized I was like the older brother in the prodigal son story. 
I worked so hard and never realized that everything that I worked hard for had already been given to me. And that God was standing at the door of his house saying, come in, come in, come sit at my table, come have communion with me as my daughter. He puts a ring on my finger. He has a special chair for me and he wants me to sit and have communion with him. I often wonder if that is the place where we can truly say that we taste and see that the Lord is good, where we can even in the place of discipline, His loving discipline, respond to Him with hearts that are contrite and humble because we love Him, because He loved us first. On my way here today in the car, <laughs> I asked God, so what is the difference between the life that I used to live and the one that I do now, because you do require of us a heart that is, um, that is worshiping you. You require of us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. So what is the difference then between how I was and how I am now? And the answer came quickly. The difference is who is at the center of my life? You see, for so long, I was at the center of my life. I was ticking the boxes. I was trying to get God's approval. But, but from this space, from this place of sitting at his table, it is not about me anymore. It's about him. It is about me looking at him and worshiping him. It's all about him. And that is the main difference. So how do we move forward now? How do we respond to our family, to our jobs, to our friendships, to social media, to the government, out of this heart of worship for God. Because we know now that it's not in pursuit of moralism, but it's about living in Christ, living out of our identity in Him, to glorify Him. I want to propose that we can only do this by approaching Father God with a humble and contrite spirit, inviting Holy Spirit to search our hearts daily, repent for the things that He reveals, and then ask Holy Spirit to renew our minds through His Word so that we can live in truth and the, and the freedom of who we are in God and of who He is as we walk out our victory in Him. So let's pray together. We thank you, God, that today you have reminded us that you have adopted us into your family, Jesus. We thank you, God, that today there is a seat at your table, Lord, where you want to have communion with us, where you want to walk with us, Jesus, where you want to bring more and more freedom to our lives, Lord. And we thank you for the privilege of knowing you, Jesus. We ask that, Lord, that you would ignite a fire within our hearts that we would want to spend time with you, that we would want to go sit at your feet, Lord, and say, search my heart, Lord. We ask that you would give us the courage, Jesus, when you highlight those things, to just repent of it, Lord, and then in that, let your word come and just bring new life and new freedoms to our hearts, Lord Jesus, so that we can truly, so that our lives can truly sing a melody, a song that worships you, Jesus, for you are the only one that is, that is worth of all our worship, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, just for who you are and for the opportunity to do life with you, Lord Jesus, as you lead us into a place 
that is more holy because of who you are. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you.